doesn't need to adorn himself. He is beautiful. So all the things that we see in this world, the finite, the limited beauty that we see in this world, shares in, it borrows beauty from the Creator. It gets its beauty, this world gets its beauty from the overabundant, gratuitous beauty of God, who is We take a break from our study this week to hear the sermon Father Andrew Tebow, curate of St. Bartholomew's, gave on the fourth Sunday of Advent 2019, titled, Advent, an Invitation to the Beautiful. Though we are now in the Christmas season, his message is still appropriate and why we are sharing it with you today. Merry Christmas and welcome to the Transforming Lives Together podcast. It's no surprise during this time of year to find stores, homes, offices, streets, maybe even vehicles decorated with tinsel, lights, and greenery. It seems as though beautiful things are everywhere you look, in the sights, sounds, and smells of the Christmas season. And it is hard not to feel a little more joyful and a little more hopeful. At the heart of all this beauty is longing, and as Father Tebow explains in his sermon, This longing can only be satisfied in the beautiful one, Jesus Christ. Christ's advent not only revealed to us the source of true beauty, but by his incarnation, death, and resurrection, we have the promise of eternal life in the beautiful world to come, paradise. Before we turn it over to Father Tebow, we would like to say thank you for your time as you tune in each week. We pray you are blessed and encouraged by the content of this podcast. Please don't forget to subscribe to stay up to date with the latest episodes. And if you have enjoyed what you're hearing so far from this podcast, please help us out by leaving a five-star rating and review. Your positive feedback will help us reach more people with this podcast. And now with our lesson for this week, here is Father Tebow. Please pray with me. And now, Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be ever-pleasing to You, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. About a week ago, give or take, I was standing in, in my kitchen one night uh, doing dishes and cleaning up for dinner after I had just put the boys down feeling the struggle of every single parent now, I'm not a single parent, but my wife was really sick, and she was laid up in bed and had a fever. She was like out for uh, a few days, and so uh, there I am standing, scrubbing these dishes, uh, feeling this struggle, and I've got music playing to distract me from the mundaneness of, of the work, and ha- a rendition of Handel's Messiah comes on, and I feel this like emotion welling up within me, and that is not typical for me. Uh, And so I'm standing there doing this task, trying to figure out what is going on as I also try to appreciate the music. And what what I realized was I was feeling like something was missing. There was something missing. To that point, it was like week three of Advent, week week two and a half or something like that. And to that point, our Advent had been pretty contested. Now, a lot of the things that contested were a good thing. For instance, at the beginning of November, we bought a house in Tonawanda, and so we had, we had just moved. But for some reason, we thought it would be a really good idea five days later to take a two-and-a-half-week vacation to Texas. 
Because that's really restful when you go away for two and a half weeks and come home to just boxes everywhere. Not a whole lot of preparation for Advent going on when you get home to that, right? But that was a good, a good time. That was a, a good contestation. And we were actually there for the start of Advent, so we started with my parents. We helped them decorate their home uh, and get their Christmas tree and everything. But when we got home, uh, we were already behind, but then Jonah was sick, like really, really sick. He had the flu and that turned into two ear infections and an eye infection. Uh, and because he's really good at sharing, he gave it to his mom. Uh, who, like, She's pregnant, so she has no immune system. And so she, she was wiped out. And so there I am. I'm standing there doing the dishes, feeling this welling up in me. Feeling like I'm missing something. I'm, I've missed Advent. We're, like, we're not getting these Adventy things done. But as I continued to reflect on it and prepare for this sermon... What I've come to realize is that really I wasn't missing some of those Advent things. Those things are glitter. You know, it, it's not the tree that I was missing. It's not the lights that I was missing or, or the gingerbread houses or, or the carols or whatever. I was missing all the things that those point to. Those things are glitter. They, that's like they reflect the gold. They're not the gold itself though. Right? What I was missing was the beauty of the season. The, the thing that the season points to. Right? Those things are, are well and good. The tree is well and good. There's a, there's a beauty in that. But they're to point us beyond themselves. And I was missing that. I was missing the beautiful. And so what I want to say is that Advent is an invitation to encounter the beautiful. And that's what I felt like I was missing. I, I thought I was missing the glitter. But really what I was missing was the gold. And the reason I think that Advent is an invitation to the beautiful, to an encounter with the beautiful, is that it's really at the heart of what we're preparing for. We're preparing for the arrival of the King. And with Him, the arrival of His kingdom. Which as Father Ward has taught us over the last three weeks, is paradise. That's what we're waiting for. We're waiting for the King and with Him His kingdom, which is paradise. And in the time of Advent, the season of Advent, we're looking forward to that. We're, we're preparing our hearts for that. And all the things of Advent are supposed to be pointing us to that, to paradise, to beauty. And the thing about this King, as opposed to every other King, every other King needs to adorn themselves with other things to make themselves beautiful. They've got the jewels and the gold and the crown and, and the furs and, and, and all the other pomp and circumstance that they get, right? They have to, to sort of play it up to get it their, their beauty. But this king that we're waiting for, he is beauty. He doesn't have to do anything to be beautiful. He's the source of all beauty. Think of John's revelation. In chapter 4, John is in the throne room of God and he's explaining this just extravagant beauty, right? Even the floor, the place that you walk, is like a sea of glass. But it's emerald. You don't see through it. You see like this deep, dark, radiant emerald. Emerald like you, you won't see any place else. Now, John isn't telling us that the God, the God who's on that throne needs to adorn himself, but he's... He doesn't have the language to tell us that guy is beautiful. 
God is beautiful. And He just radiates it. He doesn't need to adorn Himself. He is beautiful. So all the things that we see in this world, the finite, the limited beauty that we see in this world, shares in, it borrows beauty from the Creator. It gets its beauty, this world gets its beauty from the overabundant, gratuitous beauty of God who is beauty. And in fact, it's out of that overflow, that, that gratuitous overabundance that He creates. And He creates this world to be good. Remember? Go through the, the, the account. It's good. He's creating it for His own pleasure. And He wants something to reflect that back to Him. So He creates humanity. Right? We are created to dwell in the midst of that sort of beauty. To inhabit beauty. But not just to, to be in the garden. And the garden is where we were created for. Think of the, the account in Genesis, right? You've got all these, these magnificent creatures there. Creatures without spot or blemish. They've not fallen. They're, they're magnificent. I, mean, think of, I don't know if you've ever watched like uh, Planet Earth or any of those shows. And some of the, the, the creatures that they, they show in that are just magnificent. I, I think of the birds of paradise from the Amazon. They're just magnificently bright colors. And I mean, the plumage is, it's, it's amazing. It's amazing. But they're only, they're like a fraction of what the glory that they, they should have because of the fall. And they had all that in the garden, which is where we were created to, to be. And at the, the pinnacle of that is the image of God, humanity. But we weren't just created to dwell in this garden, right? We were created to dwell with beauty. Remember, God walks in the garden. God, the source of truth, beauty, and goodness, is there with them. They have unmediated access to that. They can see truth, beauty, and goodness as it is. They don't need anything in between. They can see it. They dwell with it. And that's what we were created for. But then the fall. What happened in the fall? Well, in the garden, the garden itself was supposed to reflect past itself. It was a sign of something greater. It was a sign of the God who created it all. And it, indeed, it's a, an image of His eternal dwelling, which is what the ultimate goal for us was. To dwell with Him eternally in His heavenly habitat. But in the fall, Adam and Eve were seduced. They were, they were tempted. And they traded that for glitter. Instead of seeing the tree for what it was as a sign that pointed to the, to the source, they tried to grasp that. They saw what was pleasing to the eye and they took it. They objectified it. They oppressed it. They tried to take hold of it themselves. And they lost sight of the source. They made an idol out of it. And then tried to set themselves up as God, the source of beauty. Of course, we know that doesn't work so well. So now, in that state, they're kicked out of the garden, right? They're east of Eden. They don't have that access to truth, beauty, and goodness that they used to have. They're not, we don't dwell where we were supposed to dwell. We've been kicked out of our home. 
Now our hearts long to get back to the paradise. Now when we see beauty in our, in our world, it wells up this longing within us, right? We see a beautiful sunset. We hear some great work of music, beautiful painting, sculpture, whatever it is. And we all like sort of sense this longing. We get this sense that things aren't as they were supposed to be. Man, that sunset is glorious. But somehow I know it's not all that there is. And I get this longing for more. I almost want to be part of it. right? Like I want to step into it. But I can't. Truth, beauty, and goodness remain after the fall. They're objective realities, but we don't have access to it anymore. So now we need divine revelation. We need a Savior. We need somebody to help us cross that gap. And in fact, there's even a danger now when we see beauty, we have the same temptation that Adam and Eve had. We want to grasp it. Take hold of it. Make it our own. Objectify it. And we pervert it. Right? Think of, uh, think of pornography. Think of, think of the trinkets that we see that sort of mimic real beauty. Think of going to buy that fake Rolex in Times Square. You know, we, we want the thing, but we don't know how to get it. And we make idols instead. We, we settle for the glitter, for the tinsel, instead of the thing itself. And so that, there's some danger there. Listen to, listen to what C.S. Lewis says about that. He says it better than I do. The books or the music, and he's not, just t- talk, like, he's not limiting to just books and music. These are just instances, right? The books or the music in which we thought the beauty was located will betray us if we trust to them. It was not in them. It only came through them. And what came through them was longing. These things, the beauty, the memory of our own past, are good images of what we really desire. But if they are mistaken for the thing itself, they turn into dumb idols, breaking the hearts of their worshipers. For they are not the thing itself. They are only the scent of a flower we have not found. The echo of a tune we have not heard. News from a country we have never yet visited. They stir up longing within us. Now notice, Lewis doesn't say that those, those things are bad in themselves. Books aren't bad. Music aren't bad. I mean, this is the, the writer of the Chronicles of Narnia. He likes books. He's not saying that's bad. What he is saying is that the danger lies in their goodness, actually. That as insofar as these are glimpses of beauty for us, we risk the temptation of trying to take hold of that. To exchanging the glitter for the gold. We get distracted. And we all know that happens in Advent for us, right? Like We get distracted by the gifts. We're focused on, i got to get these gifts for the kids, or i got to get them for my neighbors, or whatever. i got to get these gifts. And I want to receive these gifts. right? And then we get busy, and we just get distracted on that. And we lose sight of the fact that those are supposed to point us to the gift. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. 
That's why we give gifts at Christmas. But we forget that. We get distracted. We exchange the glitter for the gold. And the invitation of Advent is to remember the beauty. Encounter the beauty. Lewis's friend Tolkien knew the power of story to point beyond itself to beauty. To invite us into a grand story to, to shape our hearts. To call our hearts out of itself towards something else. And I have a, another sermon written basically here that for the sake of time I'm going to skip over about that. But what I, I want to do, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that, that the narrative includes creation, fall, and redemption. God recognizes. He, he looks at us. He sees us outside of Eden. He sees the longing in our hearts and He knows that that longing will be frustrated unless we have help. We can't meet our own desires because of the fall. So God in His great mercy seeks to, to resolve the issue for us. We can't find beauty, so beauty came to us. We long for beauty. We want to inhabit beauty. But we've been cut off from it. So beauty took on human flesh. It took on our very nature and united itself to us. United Himself to us. So now in the incarnation, we not only have the hope of union with beauty, but with that we have the hope of paradise. Through the incarnation, we are elevated up. We are restored to the purpose for which we were given. Our goal is restored. Now we have the hope of paradise again. That's the great Christian hope. It's to see God face to face. What used to be called the beatific vision. The beautiful vision. Beholding God face to face in the face of Jesus Christ. That's the great Christian hope. When the King comes, He brings His kingdom. Paradise. I think our readings today from Isaiah sort of they get at this. In fact, the whole book of Isaiah is really about that. In fact, the book of Isaiah is often referred to as the fifth gospel because so much of the gospel is there. Many of the promises that we see fulfilled in the New Testament are in Isaiah. It's the besides the Psalms, it's the most quoted book in the New Testament. So it's often referred to as the fifth gospel. I invite you to open your Bibles. So in verse in chapter six, you have the call of Isaiah. Isaiah is brought up into the throne room of God. And he sees the glory and beauty and majesty of the Lord, and he is awestruck. And he realizes that he is a man from an unclean race, and he hits the deck. He knows he cannot stand in the presence of that beauty. And so one of the angels come and they, they cleanse his mouth with the, the purity of fire. And they tell him to, to arise and he's given his commission. And he's told to go to another throne room. So he leaves paradise and he goes to the throne room of Ahaz. And this is not paradise. 
There is war at the gates. Syria and Israel have come upon him because Ahaz has traded the gold for glitter. He has put his trust in Assyria. And that scares Syria and Israel and they're going to come and wipe him out to protect themselves. And so Isaiah is sent to Ahaz as judgment, as a warning. Do not put your trust in glitter. It will fail you. It will be a dumb idol. They can't save you. Only the Lord God can save you. And Ahaz is given the opportunity to ask for a sign. Let me just tell you, if the Lord sends a prophet to you and He asks you to give, ask for a sign, do it. Otherwise, it's just false piety. And then Ahaz is condemned for that as well. Is it not enough that you tire and worry, wear out your own people? Now you're going to wear out the Lord? So the Lord gives him the, the promise of Emmanuel anyway. And then to make sure that we get the point, as Isaiah continues to bring judgment through chapter 8, he, he starts this wordplay with Emmanuel. He uses it as a sentence. He uses it as a title. He uses it in these different ways to draw our attention to it. Emmanuel, Emmanuel, Emmanuel. God with us. Beauty with us. That's the promise. And then we get to chapter 9. And we're told who this is. This, who this is is going to be described to us. Because God doesn't give judgment without hope. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Now, if you've been in darkness for a long time, there are few things as beautiful as light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. You shall multiply the nation. You shall increase their gladness. They will be glad in your presence as with the gladness of harvest. As men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For you shall break the yoke of their burden and the staff on their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor as at the battle of Midian. For every boot of the booted warrior in the battle tumult and cloak rolled in blood will be for burning Fuel for the fire. This Emmanuel is going to be revealed in victory. With him comes peace because he is one. Peace like we don't know. We, peace so great we don't even need to have a standing army anymore. No need for it. And why is this going to happen? For a child we will be born to us, a son will be given to us. And the government will rest on His shoulders. He will be King. And His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. He's revealed in His names. Who is this Emmanuel? He is the Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. This is the One to come. The King who is coming. And there will be no end to the increase of His government or of peace on the throne of David and over His kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness. This King will be revealed in His character. He is just and righteous. 
How much would we like to have a king that's just and righteous right about now? From then on and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. So this king is coming and he is going to establish his kingdom. And peace will reign there. Righteousness will reign there. Justice will reign there. That's starting to sound like a pretty nice place to me. But we get more of a glimpse. Isaiah gives us all sorts of glimpses about the coming kingdom. But let's look at chapter 60, uh, page 744. This is one of the places where we get a description of the kingdom to come. Verse 11, Your gates will open continually. They will not be closed day or night, so that men may bring to you the wealth of nations with their kings led in procession. This king to come is so great that the other kings come in pomp and circumstance to impress him. For the nation and the kingdom which will not serve you will perish, and the nations will be utterly ruined. The glory of Lebanon will come to you. The beauty of Lebanon will come to you. The juniper, the box tree, and the cypress together. To beautify the place of my sanctuary. If I had more time, we'd go look at descriptions of the temple and how they, they mimic the garden, but that'll have to wait. And I shall make the place of my feet glorious. The sons of those who afflicted you will come bowing to you, and all those who despised you will bow themselves at the soles of your feet. And they will call you the city of the Lord, the Zion of the Holy One of Israel. Whereas you have been forsaken and hated with no one passing through, I will make you an everlasting pride, a joy from generation to generation. Why will it be that? Because the King of Kings is there. Nobody cared about it before then, but now the King of Kings. And He's worthy to behold. Now people are coming. You will also suck the milk of nations and suck the breast of kings. Then you will know that I, the Lord, am your Savior and your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. Instead of bronze, I will bring gold. Instead of glitter and tinsel, you will have gold. Not the imitation, not the sign, but the real thing. All those things that we long for in this life will be fulfilled there. In the source of it all. In the source of beauty. And instead of iron, I will bring silver. And instead of wood, bronze. And instead of stones, iron. And I will make your make peace your administrators and righteousness your overseers. Violence will not be heard again in your land. Nor devastation or destruction within your borders. But you will call your walls salvation and your gates praise. No longer will you have the sun for light by day, nor the, for brightness will the moon give you light. But you will have the Lord for an everlasting light and your God for your glory. This God is so radiantly beautiful, we don't even need the sun. His presence suffices. Your sun will no longer set, nor will your moon wane. For you will have the Lord for an everlasting light and the days of your mourning will be over. Who mourns in the midst of that kind of beauty? All of our desires will be met. Then all your people will be righteous 
They will possess the land forever, the branch of my planting, the work of my hands that I may be glorified. The smallest one will become a clan and the least one a mighty nation. That sounds like a home I can look forward to. You have been listening to the Transforming Lives Together podcast, a ministry of St. Bartholomew's Anglican Church in Tonawanda, New York. To learn more about our church, please visit stbartston.org. Again, that's stbartston.org. You can also connect with St. Bartholomew's on Facebook and Instagram through the handle at St. Bart's Anglican Church. And you can connect with this podcast through at Transforming Lives Together Cast. We hope you will tune in next time as we continue with Life's Meaning and Purpose, an in-depth study of the Gospel of John. Until then, we leave you with these verses from the book of Ecclesiastes. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. God bless.